I have to be honest, though, like I like doing two episodes this week. I didn't I, I was like, you know, Dan was talking about, oh, with he was worried it was difficult to find the stories. And that wasn't the difficult part. The difficult part was that I spent an hour and a half or two hours looking for good memes to put in the meme review today. <laughs> mm. Totally. Yeah, no, I mean, totally fair. Because <laughs> there are so many fucking shit tier memes, like all of the goddamn stock market memes just absolute trash i'm not even really i'm not even willing to laugh at them because they're not even funny people don't like want to update their memes they want to cycle back into what feels comfortable and the problem is also i think that like a lot of people who were very influential in making like the memes that maybe like a lot of us got into the meme sphere with from like i don't know 2015 to like 2018 we're old now (laughs) we're all old we're not in our early 20s anymore uh, and it's hard to be it's hard to be hip. I also don't want to be bleak, but I mean, a lot of big meme makers are actually dead. That's also true. <laughs> that has yeah. happened. And you know, you're not wrong. Kind of rough, yeah. but yeah, you're not wrong. Well, and then you know, there's there's a bunch of them that got uh, outed as like sexual predators or yeah, you know whatever right, else, and there's right. that. So then they disappeared. Um, Although I think I saw somebody who that happened to like popped back up on Twitter recently and I didn't realize I was talking to them until I was like a couple replies deep Mm. and I was like, oh, I think this is actually somebody from like Facebook a few years ago who I should probably block. Yeah. Um, Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. But it's fine. It's fine. We'll come up with a new wave of memes. You know, the floodgates are open. We have we have a Democrat president, so get ready for Obama era meme energy to finally come back. There's a dog in the White House, my friends. <laughs> I I just remember like that was like when Obama was in office. That was when everybody said that the left can't meme, and like at the time, right. they weren't entirely wrong. I, I think that le- that left memes were kind of lacking back then, and we did see a a really good um, surge of them through like. Like the Trump presidency, but now right. it, it makes me really worried that all of the good meme makers are just straight up fucking libs and have retired since Biden is in office. <laughs> well, yeah. when they said that the left can't meme, they didn't really mean the left, right? Like during the Obama years, if anybody said the left to anybody who wasn't like a committed communist, they meant the Democrats. They were like, the Democrats can't meme, which is 100% unequivocally true. The Democrats are completely well, sure. unable to to create a meme or do any cultural production whatsoever, which is part of the reason the Republicans always whoop their ass. I feel like the peak of their memeing over the last few years has literally just been like Cheeto. Remember when Obama's biggest scandal was when he wore a tan suit? Yeah. That's like the biggest liberal yeah. meme or like, like that's remember <laughs> during the, the, the primary when they tried to get Warren memes going like big structural Bailey. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. <laughs> that was one of the most shit was so pathetic tough. attempts at making something viral that I've ever heard in my life. It was one of those things where it like it went viral for how fucking dumb it was. Yeah. Actually that's what like- I thought. I thought that that whole meme was just us laughing at the idiots who thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we, yeah, I think the actual left probably gave that shit more coverage than it got anywhere else just fucking dumping on it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so bad. Definitely. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, I guess we don't have a follow up this week. I guess this is one of the we we, we did oops all follow ups the other day. Oops, and, yeah, <laughs> oops, oops, all well, original yeah, like, stories. Um, because there there were little tiny things on like a couple of the stories we covered, but nothing that I I thought was really worth right. You know including in here because it was like a one sentence thing yeah that's right well welcome to the show everybody welcome to work stoppage uh we're your hosts i'm john i'm lena i'm dan and uh like we were saying we don't have any follow-ups for you this week but we want to talk about something going on in maine right now where nurses at maine medical center uh are trying to get together and get union recognition for their burgeoning union movement there and the medical center has hired a union avoidance firm called reliant labor (laughs) consultants uh who specialize in union busting and surprise surprise one of their founders is actually a former union president a local president from philadelphia is this that uh that video you sent me or sent us earlier in the chat where it's like the guy's like you know what i well my dad was a union person and we were taught the to respect labor and then i be i rose in the ranks and suddenly i was like this sucks i would like way more money i'm gonna become a union buster (laughs) well he was saying stuff like you know i i grew up on the shop floor and if if i convinced my dad that i wanted to go to the trade hall he would take me there instead of church and like telling these like folksy very joe biden style like haha folksy americana yeah, you hear um, that Christians? He hates God. That's right. He hates God. <laughs> but he um he was talking about like he's like, Oh, I, I became a shop steward and then eventually a president, and then I found out we weren't standing up to big business. We were a big business. And I'm like, dude, oh, what yeah, did you leave line. the union to do? <laughs> you started yeah. a consulting firm where you probably make five, ten times as much money as you ever did as a fucking union leader. Yeah, fuck that guy. I just love like the idea of this guy giving like uh, these like you know mandatory attendance meetings to people and being like you know i know it sounds cool to you know get together and demand your rights and to try and you know be exploited less but did you ever think that if you sell out you can make more money this is <laughs> you know this isn't in the meme review but it just reminds me of the the meme i posted recently in in the discord where it was the the cartoon character with the piece of paper that uh the piece of paper says the company's open door policy and the next frame is just him saying this is worthless right yeah Yeah, well i mean like if you look at the testimonials for reliant labor consultants who are the union busting firm that they hired the only two written testimonials they have are from people in work who are managers at workplaces uh, working in HR, where they defeated a union vote to affiliate with the Teamsters. These HR representatives won't even give their names. <laughs> they are credited by first and last initial only with a little Teamsters sigil above their their name, which is so confusing. And I have to think, like, between that and the fact that, like, half of the pages on this website have a string of union logos at the bottom, they want you to get the idea that this is just as much a worker organization as any union right. could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Even though if you watch, like, the Introducing Ourselves videos on their website, it's just six psychos who are like, we show up, we're like nice to the rank and file, and we get everybody on the same team, and we make sure that they vote 47 to 3 against unionizing with the Teamsters. And then we walk out knowing that we made their workplace a better place. It's like, <laughs> what kind of fucking psycho shit is that? I've never, I've never seen this cognitive dissonance before. Well, and, and clearly that messaging 
that insane shit is getting through to the administrators at the hospital mm-hmm. because the hospital administrator sent out a memo to the press saying that because of the union drive, the that nurses would be required to step away from their work, caring for patients, delivering vaccines, and conducting coronavirus tests to attend these mandatory anti-union trainings, and then said, quote, this is the kind of divisiveness a union brings into the workplace. It's like, what? what the the union you could just do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're the one making them go to the meetings. If you just acknowledge the union, they wouldn't have to do that. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's basically the employer saying, like, look what you made us do, right? Like, you had the gall to try and stand up for yourselves for two seconds, and now you have to sit through these meetings. Whose fault is that? Clearly yours. No, this is, I think that they really, they got to run. This is exactly the reason they made me a communist. They made me an anarchist. This is exactly the kind (laughs) of shit that pisses me off to no end, where they want to try and blame these working people for, like, just trying to have a democratic voice in their workplace to make it safer, to make it so that they can actually care for people more and then to to have the gall to say oh this is your fault that there's all this contention like you are the one pitting people against each other you are the right. one saying that like you shouldn't trust your fellow worker and creating dissent in like between your own workers it, it, it's so fucking frustrating it's yeah just, well and the idea that this would create any kind of dissent like they're trying to affiliate with a union that represents over 2000 nurses across the state of Maine like that's not that's that's the exact fucking opposite of of division that's yeah that's unification that's solidarity yeah and it right. reminds me of the in that same video that we were talking about earlier when he was like i just don't ever want to be called a liar and i'm just like well oh, that's yeah. the whole point of the the, the <laughs> whole point of the of the website and the video the, the union logos is because they actually have to go into these meetings and they have to say no do your own research and so they then were like this is my website and you look at it and like sure like we can see that it's sus as fuck but like when they see union logos on it they're like oh the union people don't like this either and really it's actually just like a fucking lie they it is just there to fool workers into thinking that they actually are looking out for their interests it's all a lie yeah and i mean we obviously like i mean everybody listening to this show knows that like objectively unions are going to give their members uh a better workplace environment more money better benefits etc but one of the things that i found from looking at at um national nurses united's twitter was they were pointing out this pretty like damning stat for uh, conditions for nurses by comparing the U.S. and Canada, where in Canada, 91% of the nurses are unionized, uh, whereas in the United States, only 18% of nurses are unionized. And in Canada, there has been one COVID-related death of a nurse. And in the U.S., there have been over 280 so, I mean, yes, obviously, you know, there's a population difference, but like that's an incredibly stark and obvious difference. And the other thing is like, that's just nurses. Whereas like they've, we've documented over 3000, um, healthcare worker deaths in the U S right. uh, and, and most non like nurse healthcare workers are unionized at an even lower rate than nurses. So that obviously contributes. So like yeah. that, obviously the numbers just back up, like how important it is to have, uh, your like healthcare workers united in ensuring that there's a safe environment for both them and obviously the patients they have to care for. It's almost like when you have an organization that's like dedicated to like social health and and well being and economic safety and security that 
you you get less deaths due to like preventable diseases. It's like the same thing with Vietnam. It's like they're socialist and they launched a giant like very public facing program as soon as COVID hit and they had like no fucking deaths. Yeah, it's the I, same thing. Yeah. I just want to like kind of put the question out there. So like, so why is it that that is the case when you actually look at it? Is it it kind of puts on the on its face that who is making these decisions does your boss know what it's like to go into those rooms like assuming you're a nurse like does does the person who is way at the top making these decisions understand the risks that you're involved in do they understand that you run out of gloves and you need to go uh halfway across the place to get this or or you don't have enough masks or any sort of sort of um issue that you're facing no they don't know that stuff you do you are the worker you are the one who should control those working conditions yeah especially when you're a nurse i mean it's no wonder that nurses are one of the most mobilized like working groups in the united states broadly because it's like let's see the vice president of communications of this hospital like put in a catheter Let's see him change a bedpan, you know, right. or whatever. It's just not fucking happening. Yeah, I I don't want to um, get too angry. I all right, I started yelling I, immediately <laughs> in the first <laughs> in the first story. I, so. I did see right before we started uh, one good thing that um, the uh, machinist local uh, S six in uh, I'm pre- I think in Portland um, posted a thing on their Facebook saying that uh, they they made a little meme and it say. I can't say it's a high quality. It's not really a meme as much as it is an infographic. And it's just a picture of like a referee's whistle. And their statement is it's time we blow the whistle on the anti-union corporations that hire lawyers and spend big money to intimidate their employees trying to form a union. That in itself should give pause to all workers on the interests and intentions of a company. Machinist Local S6 stand with the nurses of Maine Medical Center in pursuit of their right to stand as one. Fuck yeah. That rules. But also, hey, unions, by the way, if you need tips on how to make memes that will actually get retweeted. <laughs> Like, hit me up. My DMs are open. I will not charge you. I will gladly give you the info. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, we, we, I think we were talking about memes right at the beginning and we should, we should really be ramping up those, those good memes. Well, it's like people, people ask me, they're like, how did your, how did your podcast BP Bledis get like popular out of nowhere? I'm like, it didn't get popular out of nowhere. We ran a meme page for over a year before we ever launched the show that had like 25,000 page likes. Like if you're a union or, or an, or like a serious political organization of some sort, I understand that you want to make posts that are like very meat and potatoes, like about what your organization is about. But like maybe just download a pack of like blank meme images, like everyone standing around putting their swords on the table together and the blank, are you winning son meme? Because like just throw your message into an already functioning, popular, working, existing format. I promise you, your message will reach so many more people. Yeah. Uh, actually, we should, uh, if we can, I don't know. Do you know where to find, you know where to find those meme packs? There's such thing as like, a meme pack is like a torrent for blank memes <laughs> I, there, there is at the very least a facebook group called the stock exchange tm where you can where people just take popular memes wipe all the text off of them and upload blanks for each other to use so there you if go you make memes get in that group nice so i guess <laughs> safety work in safety conditions because the next one is literally like a deadly nitrogen leak in georgia that we're gonna yeah. be covering oh my yeah. gosh so this is not a particularly fun story, but it's it's pretty. I think it's pretty emblematic of the working conditions that folks face in this country. Um, there's a uh, food processing plant um, called Foundation Food, uh, food Group. Um, 
in Gainesville, Georgia, that there was a liquid nitrogen leak at last Thursday, Jesus. which killed six employees. Wait, it killed and them? At, yep. Uh, six employees died, five at, on the scene, one died later at a hospital, and several are still hospitalized. Um, the the nitrogen, liquid nitrogen is used at the plant to flash freeze chicken uh, after right. it's been processed. Currently, the police and OSHA are investigating the cause of the leak. Uh, their vice president of Foundation Food Group n- declined to discuss the cause of the leak, but he said that preliminary indications are that a nitrogen line ruptured inside the facility. Uh, and there was some more information that major portions of the liquid nitrogen system at the plant were installed in the last four to six weeks. So a lot of this points to like insufficient safety precautions taken during the installation of this new system, insufficient testing. Obviously we won't know for sure until they finish their investigation, but the thing that drew me to this, obviously, you know, this is a horrifying incident. Um, yeah. And we'd love and to bring the, up work conditions and tell people exactly, like, how dangerous it really is yeah. for, all, for all of the different workers out there. But, yeah, and, like, one of the things that was going on during the pandemic was the, uh, I mean, not was, still is, but, like, one of the first things that Trump, the Trump administration did at the start of the pandemic was start issuing all these waivers to uh-huh. food processing plants for like uh, new COVID uh, requirements so that they could keep running and even allowed them to speed up production. Right. Which, I mean, as anyone knows, like the speeding up any job is going to make it more dangerous. Yes. But when your job is to be using, you know, like knives and, and industrial saws and stuff to carve up meat, making, forcing people to work faster on that is a recipe for disaster. Right. And, and, one of the things the article about this mentioned was that just in the last three years, there have been several OSHA probes of this facility, including one, like they're mostly all around like potential amputation threats, uh, around a settlement in 2018 where a worker settled with, uh, OSHA or well, the company settled with OSHA for $12,500 over an incident where an employee lost a pinky and ring finger. Uh, yeah, and, and then hold that into your head that, that, that $12,000 mark. Cause I'm going to come back to, to that mark in, in a little bit. The, there was another incident in 2017 where an employee lost at least, I don't know why it says at least three fingers. I feel like you'd have a definite number of fingers you would lose. It's but like, like that time where Joe Biden was like, well, there's at least three genders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in a meat mixer accident. Um, and they find the company $25,000 and then let them not pay it. <laughs> so the, the, one of the things that I really wanted to get at with this story, in addition to the fact that like, this is horrifying and, and the families of these workers and their coworkers deserve justice, um, is that one of the things that you often hear from folks, not, even not necessarily like anti-union ideologues, but just this stuff that gets ingrained into us through like the media is that, well, you know, back in the day when like Upton Sinclair was writing the jungle, right. we needed unions because companies were irresponsible and the working conditions were horrible. But now we have things like OSHA and that's just complete nonsense. Like, yeah, it's better to have OSHA than not have it. But these, you have 
like all these multi-billion dollar companies and OSHA comes in and if they find them at all, and most of the time it's a slap on the wrist or like a corrective action re- right. report where they're like, we need you to tell us how you're going to prevent this in the future. And then they just rubber stamp it and, and be yeah. like, well, good. Now don't do it again. Well, people right. think that shit is gone. People think that like, oh, Upton Sinclair wrote that book like over a hundred years ago. So, you know, done and dusted, but that's just not the fucking way it is at all. I feel like yeah. I need to start a burner account where I just post like to Twitter every single day, like Charlie Daniels, you know how he would post till he died. He would post like Benghazi ain't going away. Just yeah. post like Upton Sinclair ain't going away. Triangle shirtwaist ain't going away. Like- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it's true. Yeah. I, I want to just like, the, so those exempt, those COVID exemptions were specifically so that um, people who got COVID at work and either died or had other sorts of medical things happen to them were not able to sue their own, sue the companies that put them in that position right uh, that's what a lot of those exemptions were for and uh one of the things i was like wow you know these numbers are really low what was like the total number of uh, or the total like dollar value that osha find people uh in 2020 let's try and figure this out and so i i looked it up and there was uh a couple different numbers but this one uh in particular was very illuminating that um as of the uh, october 8th in 2020 osha had cited just cited not even fully fined already 85 establishments for violating uh coronavirus related conditions that they're supposed to meet totaling 1.2 million dollars across the entire country yeah if you've been following this show and thought and like thought oh wow this we're really highlighting a lot of different workers who have been uh, disenfranchised under COVID and, and all of these other issues. The only actual penalties for these companies have equated to about $1.2 million between actually only 85 companies that were actually charged by OSHA. And then again, they are only cited. It's those things, like Dan said earlier, are sometimes just rubber stamped away. And yeah. I also mentioned that that person who lost at least three fingers or whatever it was for twelve and a half thousand dollars. The average of eighty five companies and one point two million is fourteen thousand dollars per case. Think about if someone died from like COVID, and which that that's not actually what's being charged because there's no one getting charged for that because of the right. the Trump exemptions. But that would be fourteen thousand dollars for that death and. Like, what the fuck is that? Oh, yeah, shit. that's a crazy yeah, amount. Like, oh, it's like, like the, the fucking city of Pittsburgh probably takes in more than that per year in parking. Like, I literally <laughs> looked it up and it's like the total income to the city is twenty point three million dollars a year. So it's like you can't even have this giant household name federal organization that's supposed to be ensuring workplace safety. They can't even leverage as much money as like a, a small major city in parking. Yeah, that's and true. Like, this. This foundation food group plant where these folks just died, they, they have revenues of over $200 million a year. Even if you find just them, that total of $1.2 million, like they'll make that back in, in like a week. Yeah, not even. So like they, what's their incentive with these incredibly tiny fines that again get a na- oh, that's the other thing they love to do is the bait and switch where the company where OSHA is like yeah we are going to do this big fine and then 
it turns out three weeks later that after some negotiation with their lawyers, actually they didn't find them at all, or they, or they find them a tenth. Yeah, of they the drop it down money. to twenty percent. There's actually a whole there's like yeah. a whole category thing on the website that which basically puts sort of like vague stipulations on what they can do to basically bring the fines down to as close to zero as possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that is not offered to your, the average citizen ever. Like, have you ever had an, an overdue bill and they were like, just pay me 20 or 15%, <laughs> yeah, right. you'll be fine. Like, you know what, I promise to to pay it back next time. Oh, oh, that's fine. Then you know what, don't, don't even worry about this bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard that. Yeah. It says, says no bill collector ever. Yeah, so... I mean, all of this is just emphasis that, like, you can't rely on the institutions of the bourgeois state to enforce any sort of safety restrictions on the people that run that state. Like, that you, this is why you absolutely have to have grassroots unions because. Right. Like, like you said in the other, in the earlier story, Lena, like the workers know the working conditions that they're operating in. They know how to make them safe. And it only through like union control of workplaces are, are we ever going to, you know, prevent stuff like this from happening. And Uh hopefully we can also stamp out the kind of uh, mentality where you put yourself as a martyr for the company. Cause I know that (laughs) sometimes people end up getting hurt and these OSHA violations happen because they're being the workers are having so much pressure put on them to do faster and faster work that they end up being like, okay, I can cut corners here. And this is exactly what is causing those things. Those, uh, and, and it, sure it's even created by workers sometimes but it's actually created by workers because of the response from the company which is that extreme pressure yeah right well and everybody likes to be like oh this worker did this wrong or oh this worker did this wrong without ever examining the reasons why a worker might do something that's not the technically correct way to do something 99 percent of the time it's pressures from management and from the the culture and the workplace that has been created. Yeah, it's not people being like, no, I'm just so smart that I'm making this whole process more efficient. It's, right. I have to make this process more efficient so my boss doesn't bring me into the office again. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm sure whatever went wrong with the installation of this liquid nitrogen system, it wasn't, you know, the contractor worker wasn't going in there being like, ha I'm going to go in there and fuck off and not do any work. Right. And it'll be great. And if it fails, I don't give a shit. It's like, no, that's the contracting company fucking driving their workers to work as quickly as possible so they can make the biggest amount of profit off of the contract that they have. And yep. I'm sure, like you said, where they dump this off on individual workers, the report on this will probably be like, well, the contract worker didn't, you know, set up this ring seal in this uh, liquid nitrogen system properly. And that's the ultimate problem. And it's not going to be that like, you know, the contracting company cheaped out because they went and fucking decided to set this program up to make the absolute like most profit they could, even if they had to cut a bunch of corners because they knew that nothing bad would happen to them yeah. when, you know, the worst happens well their only cost like is this. labor and so when they get their right. when they get labor costs to go down they make more money and so they do their best to always keep labor costs down which is to basically push people into doing extreme amounts of dangerous work very fast yeah. well and like the main thing that they've been cutting at least in my personal experience going from job to job for the last 10 years is training. They don't fucking train yeah. you when you oh, get a yeah. new job anymore. They have you like at best they have you shadow somebody for a few days and then you're just you're just on the job whether you feel comfortable and ready to perform, you know, your your duties or not. That is actually yep. I when I got fired from Starbucks was partially uh that because I was training for morning openings and then mm-hmm. uh 
they decided that I was actually going to be a closer. And so they gave me closing training and then had me close by myself the next night. <laughs> wow. And that was and that was my entire training for my entire time at Starbucks. And then I was the one who was fired. Yep. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, they're and not the going to see themselves Plus all the other out. shit. I mean, I don't want to go into the details of that one, but like. <laughs> there's, I mean, yeah. with a company like Starbucks, there's always yeah. so much shit. Speaking of anti-union workplaces. Um, the United States. The next story. <laughs> yeah. <on here. laughs> yeah. Yeah. The entire Western world. You ever think um, of the United States isn't so much like a country as it is like a family? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah, those $600 checks are basically a pizza party. I almost, cho- I almost choked. I actually... <laughs> We're taking the whole country um, out to Chuck E. Cheese this weekend. Come on, everybody. Oh, please don't Lord. unionize. Everybody just standing at like the Canadian border, looking at the two thousand dollar amongst checks, doing the uh, fucking Eric Andre, let me in, me. (laughs) But yeah, so there's this uh, there's this Guardian article um, that came out uh, last week covering how the through the pandemic there have been a rash of companies using the uh, mass unemployment caused by the pandemic as an excuse to ramp up the use of lockouts against uh, union drives. And so it starts with an example of uh, this guy, Dalroy Connell, who uh, has worked as a stagehand for the Portland Trailblazers for 25 years. And when the pandemic hit, uh, obviously that disrupted major sports. And so NBA games were, were temporarily suspended. And, and so it's like, yeah, okay, we, we can't, there's no work there. But then um, la- back in December when the new season started and they're not doing the bubble that they were doing last year and they're actually doing travel, um, instead of bringing back the workers, um, they replaced the vast majority of the unionized crew with non-union workers. Of course. And they used as an excuse that like, oh, well, you know, we don't have fans coming in, so the work uh, is different, despite the fact that these are jobs running sound and lighting and they're still that doing all that same shit. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's part of the broadcast, so I'm, it hasn't changed at all. <laughs> and I'm, tra- uh, I'm trained so in that stuff, and it, and it doesn't matter if, I mean, yeah. like, it's, it's a little bit more complicated if there are a bunch of people in the crowd because you might have to run right. cables or whatever, but for the most part, you run a you run a like a a show the same way either way well and also like running audio and and lights or you know video or whatever else like something that heavily technological it's really important to have a very cohesive you know well-structured crew who all know how to communicate with each other and to make sure everything's running smoothly because in in an arena like sound and lighting one little hiccup can fuck up everybody's ability to do their job and if you were bringing in scabs I mean, get ready for a season with a lot of technical errors. That's, you know. Yeah, I mean, if anybody who's ever been to a minor league like game of any kind and and this is not to rag on like workers for minor league teams it's just that minor league teams don't spend nearly the money that the major league ones do there's a pretty big drop off in the production value between them uh and and i i think you're definitely right they're going to see the same thing here and so the workers union uh the international alliance of theatrical stage employees local 28 has filed unfair labor practices with the nlrb actually i I, want to say the acronym iatsi right (laughs) yeah <laughs> that rule. But so far the uh the trailblazers have refused to to give in on that and and, and uh this guy Mr. Connell was quoted saying that quote it's a blatant slap in the face. They're using 
positions in the house, people who already work there to do things that we normally do. And, and so this has become a pattern. Uh, I mean, obviously lockouts have been used forever by companies, but it's, it's really started to explode now that the, you know, the industrial reserve army of, of labor to, to bring in your old school Marxist terminology has swelled so much during the pandemic. Um, early in the pandemic, you saw a lot of, uh, places just doing mass layoffs, just being like, okay, fine. Uh, we're having to shut down anyway. Fuck you. Um, and so union drives at places like Augie's coffee shop in California, court furniture in New Jersey, where they had been starting unionizing work before the pandemic started. Once the pandemic hit, the company's like, fuck this. And they just fired everybody. Yeah, we covered Augie's. Yeah. yeah. And um, obviously, we've we've covered other issues like this at, uh, you know, Amazon, Instacart, Trader Joe's. Um, and now these have really ramped up. Like, uh, according to uh, uh, analysis by Bloomberg Law, there, there were no major employer lockouts during the first couple months. But then lockouts have rebounded as disputes over wage and benefits became more intense. Quote, the intent of many lockouts is uh, to actually try and break the workers' union by showing that the union's position has led to a loss of work. And the only way to restore work is through unconditional surrender, which is uh, from uh, Moshe Marvit, a uh, labor and employment lawyer uh, from the Century Foundation. I feel like I've talked with that Um, person. I don't know. <laughs> that name just says so, so familiar to me. So what you're telling me is that uh, we're basically going through the Great Depression Part Two. Yep. Uh, oh, it's yep. it's lockouts. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like really you know tangible uh, tension between worker groups and employers. Uh, we're going to see a big rise in the use of the Pinkertons. I mean, we already have, haven't we? We've talked about the Pinkertons well, like three times in the last few weeks on this show. Well, and part of the reason, like, I, I want to look at this story is because there's so many of the stories we've covered that fit right into this pattern. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, the stuff we've been covering with the teachers, especially like with uh, the CTU in Chicago, where you had recently like CPS threatening to lock out the employees yep. who have just been demanding better working conditions. Uh, and also the, that story we just covered in Bellevue, Washington, where they've been trying to use uh, substitutes and other school workers as scabs against their teachers. Mm-hmm. And they have another example in here where dozens of workers in May went on strike at Valley Fruit and Produce, who were rep- and they were represented by Teamsters uh, Local 630. And they went on strike in protest of intimidation of the union members uh, and, and in protest of efforts to decertify the union. And... In the midst of their negotiations, they just fired a bunch of the the union workers and replaced them with non-union staff and then tried to basically use that to leverage it against the rest of the, the workers that were fighting for a union by basically saying, see... If you try to do this, you're just going to get fired. Right. And so they would force them to, to if they wanted to come back to work, because, you know, people, so if, if these strikes go on too long without, you know, enough proper support structure, people need to eat. Mm-hmm. And they, so they would, would force people basically, and this is another thing that I'm, I know is illegal, but again, this is another one of those cases where like, it's only illegal if that's actually enforced is basically signing declarations against the union. And they had a, a, a quote here, um, from one of the Teamsters representatives the, through their union buster lawyer, Valley Fruit talked to foremen to call workers on the picket line using intimidation, scare tactics, to get them back to work. And when the union workers went back inside, they were forced to sign documents saying they didn't want to be part of the union anymore. That's from Carlos Santa Maria, uh, rep for Teamsters 
6.30. Jesus. And they had a, one of the employees there, Roberto Juarez, who's worked there for six years before he was locked out, said that they've been attempting to destroy the union in its workplace by, you know, negotiating in bad faith, pushing for a reduction in benefits, wage freezes, all this stuff, while simultaneously getting multi-million dollar PPP loans from the federal government that is supposed to be offsetting any of these hardships that they're claiming. Yeah. So you're just seeing this emerge as Well, a, they're a not constant... interested in actually using that money for anything but lining the pockets of the of the right. of the management and shareholders. Yeah, and it's funny when you'll see those stories that'll come out and be like, "Oh, the federal gov, the FBI caught this guy who was misusing his PPP loan to buy a Ferrari." And it's like, that's the the exception like <laughs> Wait. that's the one person who it's like congratulations you managed to be so insanely corrupt that you actually got the government to be like okay now right. enough of this like the vast as you said the vast majority of this money they'll be like okay this money is supposed to pay wages here's one percent for wages and 99 percent for me i mean that's what my <laughs> and- fucking job did like they got their PPP yeah. loan and they gave it to us while we were off work for like not even two months. And then as soon as we were back, they were like, here's a $2 an hour in hazard pay. And that was gone after two weeks. And I did the math on the PPP loan they should have received. And I was like, they didn't even give us 10% of that. Well, and yeah. you, you want to know how it's actually often done is that they uh, then take all of the n- normal costs because they didn't actually lose very much. No, almost like a lot of companies didn't lose money over the pandemic. Right. What happened was, is they just replaced, they said, uh, okay, we spent this much on wages, subtract that much from the PPP loan and then give that to us. They like literally just used it as like a placeholder in w- through the accounting techniques. They, they can say they put it into wages, but no one would even know. Yeah. That's the thing. I almost felt like every time they, they scaled back how much like protections they were giving us financially, against the crisis i was like somebody's lawyer called and was like hey i figured out a way because you know they were dealing with like a bunch of of brand new legal jargon for the way that these loans were supposed to be handled and it probably just took them a, a few weeks or months to figure out how to steal it and keep it above board the state shouldn't be paying people to stay at work the state should be paying people to stay at home that's right like for me the big takeaway from this is that i mean Obviously, it's that companies are evil, but we already know that. Right. <laughs> but like, it's that this really, really emphasizes, and I, I think I've said this on well, uh, at least one issue per episode, like the need for cross-union solidarity and, and mm-hmm. like support structures between industries so that these lockouts become less or not effective at all as a tool. Because if we have, you know, there's a, a like a coffee shop trying to unionize and, and they're getting locked out and they're starting to run out of money. If you have the local Teamsters or the local pipe fitters or the local, you know, electrical workers. The two stores like, hey. next door and the one across the street. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Being like, hey, that's fucked. Here's a strike fund that people can donate to so that folks can, can afford to continue to stay out on the picket line that will make this sort of tactic way less effective and just builds more support like for whatever your union is within your workplace. Because then the people there who might've had doubts about it can see like, well, actually, you know, when those folks were having trouble over there, our union went and helped them out. That's actually pretty dope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and and that that sort of solidarity is often paid back. I mean, what was it that right. uh, there was 
a, a Native American tribe that had like donated to Ireland during the potato famine yeah. and the iron uh, and they they paid that back recently because of the COVID nineteen pandemic or something like that's yeah I think sol- that was the Na- the Navajo Nation yeah I think. and and like solidarity does like even out like we are like when they say we're well when when the lib says we're in we're in this together they don't actually mean that but like when union people do I mean it does mean something at least it should. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's not even about one-to-one getting reimbursed. It's just like recognizing when somebody's in trouble, if you have a friendly relationship with them, like, it, it's time to help, you know, if you have the means. Well, like, hopefully you don't ever need the help, but it's good to have friends. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of the those things where so much of, like, the superstructure and, and even the base in the U.S. is built around creating this environment where there's absolutely no safety net for anyone. Right. So that everybody has to constantly feel like if I'm not, you know, giving a hundred, you know, the giving 110% at work, I could be replaced at any time and there's nothing there. So like it generates that culture of fear and these lockouts play into that. Mm-hmm. And if, and that's like both part of the, the tactics and a goal of like, any of this sort of anti-capitalist organizing is to build a society where people don't have to feel that way all the time so that they know that, you know, if they have a bad day at work or something, their boss can't just fucking fire them for no reason. And that if they do get lose their job for whatever reason that, you know, they're not going to lose their apartment. They're not going to lose their health care. They're not going to be fucking thrown out on the street. Their kids aren't going to like, you know, lose the ability to go to school. And only through these sorts of like cross union actions, to prevent stuff like these lockouts, are we ever going to be able to build structures like that so that everybody's lives aren't this fucking constant grind of fear yeah. and stress? Right. Yeah. And, and, that- and not being 100% sure of exactly how everything is working at the level above your head. Right. Yeah. And I, I, didn't, I don't mean to insinuate that like through solidarity, like you're expecting to be paid back. But I think that because of the conditions that we're in, I mean, no matter what, if you start holding solidarity with people, we're all going to need to start doing it together because mm-hmm. like yeah. we all need support. Like yeah. that is that is just the truth. Absolutely. Well, and um, it benefits you by making you fucking feel better. Like imagine the like the fucking the fake joy that you get from donating to some like shitty charity that you see on TV. Multiply that by like orders and orders of magnitude once you're actually like realizing like hey, I have a real material interest that is the same as almost everybody else on the planet. And I can help them as long as they're not one of the, you know, ruling class of people who's actively trying to fuck the rest of us over. Yeah, I I mean, and I and I go back to the idea that the store next door or the store across the street can hold solidarity, because I think that that sort of um, connection is really important to actually be like, if you if you see people out on strike you need to go out on strike too, or at least do right, some sort correct. of action to like do a walkout, be like, we're walking out in solidarity with them. Even if you know that you're going to get uh, like yelled at and told to come back in, because that's the thing about like a, um, a concerted protected work effort where yeah. uh, basically you are allowed to, as long as it's not just you, I mean, you have to have at least one other person, but you can walk out of your store and say it's in protest and you will be protected by the law technically right i mean even even under the shitty labor laws we have you will be you are technically protected and they will tell you you have to come in and you technically do they otherwise they can fire you but through the action of just saying that you're holding solidarity to do a labor action you are protected that rules 
Well, speaking of making politics tangible and local and the store next door and really getting people involved in a way that they can understand intuitively, I want to go the complete opposite direction and talk about some (laughs) arcane Department of Labor shit that just happened that is very, very hard to decipher. But I took the time to at least mostly understand what I'm going to tell you about. So I'm going to give you the long and short of it real quick here. The U.S. Department of Labor on Friday announced the quote-unquote immediate end of its payroll audit independent determination program, a.k.a. the PAID program, which is a 2018 Trump-era program that allowed employers to voluntarily disclose wage violations that they encountered, that they committed, let's be honest, Uh, And then pay the fines for those directly and in the amount of the wage violation, you know, on a one to one basis and then also, you know, pay the employee their wages. The reason that this was beneficial to these employers is because previously, and this is the rule that we're going back to now, is that there's no way for an employer to self- basically go to the federal government and be like, hey, we stole this money from this employee. We'd like to pay the fines, please. And what that means is that they're going to have to pay the liquidation value of the fines, which is usually double whatever they would have otherwise paid. So now their motivation, instead of self-reporting, is to either keep it all under wraps or just be ready to pay the larger fine. And economists, aka people who don't really care about workers at all, are going back and forth about whether this is good for employers or good for employees or whatever. And the, the, the what I've gleaned from it is that it's kind of bad for employers and is kind of good in that respect in that like if they fuck up, they don't get to be like, oh, it was just a whoopsie daisy. We made a fucky wucky. Ooh, woo. Can we I pay the minimum fine? I was literally just please? thinking of that exact jokey <laughs> phrase. <laughs> but now it, it also does provide them with a slightly stronger imperative. Like if they do ever make an honest mistake, which does seem to happen, you know, once in a blue moon, uh, they they're going to want to keep it under wraps. But what this really means to employees is that they need to be twice, well, it seems to indicate that they need to be more vigilant about whether or not they're getting their wages stolen. But in reality, you should already be that vigilant either way, because whether this is in place or not, wage theft is still the number one biggest form of theft in the country, period, bar none, hands down. Um, Right. Yeah, there's that graphic that I've certainly sent to plenty of people that shows like the the scale of wage theft committed in the U.S. versus other forms of theft. Right. I mean, it's like just minimum wage violations alone. And again, this is like the tracked data. The actual number is, of course, assuredly much higher than this. Right. Um, just minimum wage violations alone is estimated at over $23 billion a year, which is more than all other forms of what is normally labeled as theft, you know, larceny, burglary, right. grand theft auto, et cetera, combined. <laughs> and that doesn't even include, you know, overtime violations, rest break violations, off-the-clock violations, all the other sorts of ways, or, or like a story we're going to talk about later. You're fucking steal, garnishing people's tips yep. or just straight stealing them. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And then, you know, you're already in that position no matter what the federal government has to say about it. But under the Trump 
the, the 2018 paid program, theoretically you would be able to go to your employer and report a wage violation and then they could handle it with you internally and then in turn go to the government and report that wage violation on themselves and then pay the fine and it would theoretically Why save everybody that? money Why and then that, that? <laughs> those savings would be passed on to you, the employee, and that's like the that's like the insane Murray Rothbard what? like What's disease the capitalist brain logic. Yeah, what's the incentive (laughs) so now the the only thing that's negative about this is that if you are a worker you you need to know that like there is there is there's nothing to be done about this your employer will try to fuck you over on it every single time and if you know that you're getting your wages stolen you need to engage in you know either a workplace action or direct legal action to get it remedied immediately The, the just because the the department of labor ruled on this superficial thing that seems like it might kind of esoterically help some workers does not mean that they're going to be looking out for you at all. This is probably right. just a way for them to like pick and choose which companies they're going to find more heavily and less heavily so that they can manipulate the market in the opaque kind of obfuscated liberal way rather right. than like the Trump era like I will just tell you which companies I want to succeed and then give them money. <laughs> yeah. Right, but I I just want to like clarify if they were actually were going to help you then what they would do is they would actually set up a system where you wouldn't have to go to court for like super long times they would actually just they would put all of the financial onus on the company to prove that they didn't steal from you yeah and if you if you sue these companies and you lose the case you're on the hook for all of your legal representation so that can sometimes be in the order of like tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's not like the government doesn't already have all the information they would need to do this because granted the way the U S tax system work is specifically set up to make it so that the rich and companies don't have to pay any taxes, but reporting requirements for businesses require them to give all of the information that they would need to track all this stuff right. in the same way that, you know, you shouldn't have to do your own taxes because the government already has that, that information you shouldn't have to report your own wage theft. Yeah, and well, mean, and they, they have the, certain ways around it. Like, they can try and shift your hours. Like, oh, well, this week you worked for 45 hours right. good, and you only worked for 30. Can we just split it up? And they, no, do not ever do yeah. that. Well, like, no, my, my, fucking my, my, my charge fucking, them overtime. My bosses used to call me and ask me when I was working this uh, lot where I had a lot of overtime, and they were like, hey, you're getting really high up on overtime this week. Can we move some of your hours to next week? And I had to be like, fuck no. You do yeah. that and I'm not coming in for the next shift. Like I get paid for the time that I'm here and like a lot of people don't aren't in a position like for me it's not even having like union a union or like an organized workplace it's literally just that like I don't need this job that bad. But for a lot of people aren't in a position where they can make bold claims like, no, you can't move my hours from week to week, breaking federal labor law. Right. Yeah. And there, there's all so. sorts of other ways that they steal, whether they do like tip theft and, and just so many different forms of wage theft. Um, sometimes like there are actual like miscalculations in the system where they'll uh, basically take your money from taxes and say they paid your taxes. But then at the end of the year, you still have to pay those taxes. Right. Just other sorts of like little ways of fucking you over so yeah doing doing all those <laughs> and putting the onus on workers to actually do all this math also fucking sucks but unfortunately the irs should just audit your boss every year they should just be doing this shit for you right right like they collect all the goddamn tax money what's it going towards like they should be the most efficient fucking you know 
federal organization around, but they're not. They make us do all the legwork for them because well, that's how it goes. Well, but John, I mean, if they spend all the money on, you know, actually making sure that businesses, you know, followed the law and didn't steal money from their workers, how would the U.S. be able to spend all this money, you know, intervening in third world countries all over the world and destroying <laughs> every left movement around the globe? I think right. you mean uh, <laughs> defending democracy and freedom and bringing those <laughs> values to countries that did not have them before. Yeah, that were these people oh, right. who hated freedom. <laughs> they, pre- they, prefer yeah. the, they prefer the tyranny of whatever. <laughs> Isn't it so weird how like we'll, we'll go into a secular democracy and bring them freedom and then suddenly they're a, a theocratic <laughs> regime? It seems yeah, like weird. the opposite should have happened. Like we should have. It seems like we're doing the thing that we the the exact opposite of the thing that we say we're doing. Yeah. Well, it is actually yeah. that. I mean, we're yes. being we're yeah. being facetious, but we're actually just describing <laughs> reality. <laughs> and and if it wasn't obvious that that was a transition, yeah. <laughs> um, the next story we've got is uh, about a general strike that uh, was recently called in Haiti. Yep. Yeah. Um, and there's been unrest in where, Haiti for quite a while now but i guess it's yeah. kind of well yeah i mean so the current unrest has been going on f- since 2017 but for some backdrop the the us has been fucking with haiti since haiti became its own country yes like it, the haitian people committed the ultimate sin of having a successful slave revolt and overthrowing their the french colonial powers that controlled haiti at the time right and the u.s has never forgiven haiti for that and has been fucking with them for literally 200 years because of that yeah well and also because um, they're close to us and the united states right. cannot let any countries that are on or near the continents that it's on not become client or vassal states of the u.s right so social organizations and workers unions in haiti uh called for a general strike uh to protest over insecurity in the country and to demand the resignation of the current president uh whose name i will pronounce wrong jovenal moise um not sure uh it's uh, might be hovenal the protests have been going on there continuously since 2018 following release of this corruption probe Mm -hmm. that announced basically again this probe came out three years ago at this point saying that major staff members within the current president's administration had been using money they'd been basically funneling money out of a program called uh, petro caribe that uh, venezuela had set up at the time in order to basically have like favorable terms to exchange oil with other countries in Latin America, uh, basically selling oil to these countries at uh, lower than they could get on the open market. Although again, the U S does not allow Venezuela to sell oil on the open market. Um, and this and, is just one of the, this is just one of the corruptions that they're protesting as well. Like right. I remember a few years ago when I was first learning about this, one of the big things was that they were appropriating aid from other countries and just steal like hoarding pallets and pallets of water bottles and like dried goods and stuff. Well, and like, it's like the top echelons of our government have been involved in that for decades. Like that's one of the big things that like, 
the Clintons were really involved in was after the big earthquake in Haiti that was absolutely devastating several years ago, they got involved with, and it's like, oh, we're going to send in all this aid. We're going to help the country rebuild. And, oh, wait, it turns out all this money got funneled through these foundations. And then none of that actually made it way, made its way to actual Haitians. And they, of course, you know, they're like, oh, well, it's because of corruption within this unstable uh, developing country. It's like, well, no, it's because like you set all that up in order to funnel money through graft to all these different corporations in the U S and to pro- further privatize portions of their uh, economy. But anyway, that's sort of getting off track and just the U S has been fucking with them forever. Well, I mean, look, um, look at what the aid that we send over there takes the form of like, I have three yeah. tweets in here from this account, Madam Bookman uh, dash justice for Haiti who I've been following since I first started to learn about like what was going on in Haiti and like there's one where there's just like a white mercenary sitting inside of a monument in the capital which is a monument to like the freedom and independence of Haiti by the way and he's just standing there with a gun on guard during the 213th anniversary of the death of Emperor Jean-Jacques Dessalines and then you look at the U.S. foreign aid to Haiti which includes eight million dollars to the population council for what essentially amounts to eugenics or 52 million dollars to military contractor DynCorp who specialize in training police in like SWAT and suppression tactics so they're just, you know, every everything that looks like aid going to Haiti from the United States, 99% of it is actually just new and more innovative ways to crush the Haitian people. Wild. And, like, you'll even see that with involvement from the UN, which, again, mm-hmm. you know, is largely, like, despite, you know— the right always railing against it is largely controlled by the United States, where there was, there was a story I read which— the thing that made me really mad about it was additionally to the story is horrible, but like the way that was reported on it, which was that at the end of 2019, there was a story that came out that the New York times reported on that's talked about UN peacekeepers may have quote fathered hundreds of children, uh, while on duty in Haiti. I'm like, that's a really interesting way to euphemism to say that sexually UN assaulted, peacekeepers yeah. sexually assaulted yeah. people in Haiti, which is, it's really dark. It's, it's, it's awful. Like the, 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 the West has not let Haiti like have a stable government basically throughout its entire existence, including the U S invading it multiple times, which we never get taught about. Right. Um, well, I mean, but anyway, this there there is a lot of reporting going on on this stuff, but you just don't see it in the United States because it's very heavily right. suppressed. If you get on Twitter or if you get on a couple of places where you can actually seek out like Haitian journalists, they're talking about this stuff. They talk about the like the epidemic of like UN dignitaries sexually assaulting people in the country. They talk about misappropriation of funds, misappropriation of of aid, like just signing contracts off to the wrong people. They all of this stuff they talk about, but it doesn't get very much press. Because because it's mostly written in Haitian Creole and French. Very little of it is written in English in the first place, and very little of what isn't written in English gets translated right. into English. And so these current protests started after that report came out that mentioned that, like, the the Petrocaribe program, which was, you know, supposed to build up solidarity around Latin America, allow Venezuela a guaranteed market for its oil, mm-hmm. but also allowing um, underdeveloped nations to be able to buy fuel at prices much lower than they would be able to buy them on the open market, which uh, usually means buying from the U.S. since the U.S. is the world's largest producer of oil. Right. But 
uh, after U.S. new U.S. sanctions kicked in during the Trump administration, which essentially made it impossible for any financial institution to work with Venezuela. Uh, Venezuela had to cease that program because countries stopped paying them because they were afraid that U.S. sanctions would prevent their financial institutions from being able to engage in trade around the world. Um, And that led to fuel shortages throughout the country, which led to kerosene prices getting hiked over 50 percent. They put in uh, increased taxes on on fuel to try and cover some of the losses. But uh, over 60 percent of the Haitian population is in poverty and over 25 percent in extreme poverty. So, like, you can't just jack up the price of fuel that people need to, you know, cook food and, and just go about their daily lives without like crushing people, um, which it led to, you know, huge protests back in 2018. And, and this has continued throughout the last several years protest. There have been huge protests every year and they, and when they get to their biggest point, they usually get reported on. And then the reporting subsides. This most recent uh, iteration has partially been triggered because the current president basically has been ruling without a legal mandate because the parliament basically isn't in session. And so he's contending that he should get to serve out the remainder of his term, which is supposed to end in 2022. And they're saying, and the people who are protesting, which is the majority of the people uh, in Haiti, in accordance with the constitution, which says that basically if there isn't a parliament in session, that you have to have new elections, right. that his term is supposed to be up at the end of this week. Actually, I think this weekend uh, on the 7th. And so he's refusing to leave power. And the people are like, well, you can't just rule as an autocrat right. after stealing, you know, at least, uh, you know, what, what was it, $60 million in, in, in money from the, the Petrocaribe program. So you've now seen clashes between like the security forces, again, entirely funded, trained and armed by the United States and unions and uh, various labor organizations. And the other big thing that they've been protesting against is that there's been a recent huge spike in kidnappings of like teachers and school workers. And so like, not only do you have this situation where you have an incredibly corrupt government, uh, you have like crushing poverty due to just all of the money that's supposed to be going to the people getting siphoned off by U.S. corporations and their clients in the country. But now you also have like teachers and school workers just being kidnapped for ransom. And so like you just it, it's an example just of like the population has been pushed to the breaking point. Mm hmm. And, and so like the general strike is, it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. and so they've, they've, they've formed an agreement between some op- opposition groups and, and a Supreme court judge to create a transitional government to oversee new elections, but the ruling party is refusing to acknowledge that. So it, you're kind of, it's kind of setting up a standoff between the two groups. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's also interesting that the leader of the, uh, opposition party's name is Jean-Charles Moise, while the guy that they're trying to get out of power's name is Jovenel Moise. And if you look at his Wikipedia article, it just says he does not claim any familial relation to Jovenel (laughs) Moise. So, you know, understandable. But yeah, I mean, like, Uh 
John Charles, he's heading up what is basically a social democratic party. And as far as I can tell, the leader of the socialist party in Haiti uh, reached some kind of coalition deal with the social democratic party to throw their weight behind them instead during this time of upheaval. So hopefully something good comes out of this and they managed to get the current Moise out of power uh, and just props to them for being able to call a two day general strike. Like, you know, I almost said out of the blue, but then I remembered like tensions in Haiti have been bubbling yeah. up. For <laughs> it's been so pretty wild long. there. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I, I hope that those, that kind of coalition really culminates in a little bit more like settled, like n- to reduce some of the turmoil that's going on there for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of settling things, uh, moving on to our last article, Amazon is being forced to pay its gig workers $61.7 million for stealing their tips, which wow, we were talking sucks. about wage There's theft. There's just <laughs> definitely not enough money. <laughs> Again, no, I know. we just talk about these institutions yeah. not taking enough money from companies. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, if you look up how much does Jeff Bezos make in a minute, it's, like, it's way more than whatever yeah. slap on the wrist fine this is. No, but, but John, he's stepping down as the CEO, so yeah, he's keep, not the person He's keeping his head down. About, let's, right? yeah, let's not get into the weeds about <laughs> Mr. Well, Bezos. Uh, I, I retweeted a tweet from uh, one of my mutuals, and they're a really small account, so I don't think it got much attention, but it just said, like, broke, Jeff Bezos stepping down as CEO, woke, Jeff Bezos stepping up to Amazon Board of Directors, which is really right. what's fucking happening here. Yeah, so there was this settlement uh, through the Federal Trade Commission, which basically said that Amazon stole a bunch of tips from drivers doing in the Amazon Flex program, where they specifically said at one point that all of the drivers would have 100% of their tips, which clearly that is not what came to pass. Yeah, when they launched the program... They were claiming that and then but immediately after that, they started slashing payments, cutting into their tips to make it look like they were still making the promised hourly. Right, rate. right. But as one of the folks in this article points out, the drivers, you know, aren't stupid <laughs> and they noticed that immediately and, you know, started complaining yeah. to the company. Well, we and we've reported on these flex drivers before. Right. So like if you don't know, if you're not familiar with what these are, these are people that you see driving like blue Amazon vans around or sometimes even just their own cars because they either have to provide a vehicle or rent one from the company. And they're basically doing like Uber Eats or like Instacart, but for like business deliveries. So they'll show up with like your fucking staples order or whatever. And you can tell by the dystopian name Flex. Yeah, flex. Well, every, everything's got to have that that little layer added onto it, right? It's like it's all I, about choice. It's all about like I I can't stop thinking about this because it's been like burning in my head for like the last few months, especially like everything that your ninth grade English teacher told you 1984 was warning you about communism is really a warning about capitalism. Like George Orwell was a fucked up guy who made a lot of mistakes and collaborated with intelligence agencies. Big no no, don't do that. But I mean, he did at one time in his life have a pretty coherent critique of capitalism. And just because, like, 
you know, the fucking animal farm has the the fucking pullet burrow of pigs in it. Like, don't be fooled. The horrors that this man saw in his life and drew from are the ones of capitalism, are the ones of the industrial West. And this is just a fucking, this is just the, the logical culmination of all that. It's like, we'll make them rent their own car, we'll make them, and then we'll steal their tips, and then we'll work them to fucking death or slash their hours or manipulate the algorithm. And we'll tell them it's to make life easier easier for well, them. And like, I mean, what's more big brother to use another right. like thing from that than what they were trying to do after the flex driver started complaining about them stealing their tips, which is running a social media monitoring program to spy on private social media groups of flex drivers mm-hmm. to collect data on their posts to support their, you know, anti-worker, anti-union activities, which they were doing, uh, <laughs> And may still be doing, but claim they stopped doing after uh, Motherboard reported on it uh, last year or two years ago. I love it when I have to take a company's word for something. That is my favorite. Like, I love it that I live in a country where the system is like, "Mm, why don't you go ask the company if they're breaking the law? Why don't you go ask the company if they're like destroying their workers' (laughs) lives? It's so fucking ridiculous. Like, we're, and and then to live like growing up and hearing like all my uncles be like, if they just ran the government like a business, it would run so well. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, you want to make the state jobs yeah. shitty too? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> I don't know what ideal world um, those people were living in. I that it's wild to me that like people who can't even pay all their bills like have this like self blame thing. I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Yeah. Well, and then they're just, like, spying on their posts and stuff. Like, even beyond the just, like, I wonder if I post this, will my boss, like, see it and call me into his office? But to the point of where they just have, like, a division of Amazon that's just, like, okay, thanks for coming in today. Your job for the next six weeks is to just spy on Amazon Flex drivers and see if they're posting anything that, you know, might negatively affect the company. It's like, wow. That's um, real Black Mirror, Twilight Zone uh George Orwell yeah cautionary tale hours yeah Yeah. (laughs) what I was just gonna say like they mentioned in here that the the FTC commissioner who was talking about this was uh was saying that while they were stealing nearly one-third of drivers tips they were and getting complaints from drivers they're just sending them canned responses lying about whether they were doing it so like like automated responses the robot says no it's fine yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, you're just getting a fucking form email like, we hear you, uh, but please, fuck off. Please contribute. <laughs> please send an email to this <laughs> email and we'll make sure yeah. that someone gets back to you uh, in two or three or four or ten weeks. Yeah, if you're not making the money that you need at this job, just text your concerns to 540-540 for some digital reassurance. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like uh. it mentions in here... That they'd been sending these canned emails, lying and claiming the, to the drivers, "No, no, you're still getting 100 percent of your tips. It's, it's just some quirks in the algorithm right. and costs and da da da." da. Um, and they were doing that until they found out about the FTC investigation. At which point, they just you know randomly started sending an actual detailed breakdown of their pay and tips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just like. They, they've disagreed with this, like, uh, this settlement and they're like, well, you know, this was a misunderstanding, but as soon as they got caught, they completely like tried to change their tune yeah. and get around this shit. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like, Which, and this is what happens though. They're getting fined what? $61 million. So when, when your boss lies to you, they, they, you just, they just give you back 
what what I guess they owed, and it probably isn't even all yeah. of that. And but if you were to lie, what if you, somehow you managed to steal sixty one million dollars from your boss, you would be in jail. Yeah, yeah. Like obviously, <laughs> the appropriate response to this is to seize the company. But absolutely, <laughs> we're never going to see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might never say never. All right. Well, I'm just saying we're not going to see that from the government. Oh, not yet. Oh, yeah. If, if it's going to happen, you know, the workers will have workers to do, are have to do that ourselves. Time. Well, let's exactly. uh, let's see some see some memes. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. We got some good ones this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just I actually did some digging because we since we did two episodes this week, I was uh, stretching my meme capabilities then a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I saw this one, uh, and I actually went in and screen grabbed it because it was just like a in bed in discord um but it's a tweet from um at an angry possum or opossum with so possum with an o Mm -hmm. and then uh it's when my boss tries to pull shit and it's the back of like a an ambulance where it's it's oh it's a fire medic unit but it's split right at the after the me and medic so it really looks like it says fire me dick unit (laughs) (laughs) fire me and the funny thing is like even though i know my brain knew i was supposed to read this as fire me dick unit like the way that you would respond to your boss uh, there was another part of my brain that overpowered it and just did like the Mr. Krabs voice from SpongeBob. Fire me, Dick Unit, SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just gotta say, like, what a great thing to call somebody, <laughs> <laughs> Dick Unit. <laughs> it's really good. It's it's one of those ones too where it's like it's like shit ass. It doesn't even really make sense. Yeah. It's just a couple of swear words next to each other. But there's a certain feeling that it gives off. That's like. Yeah, yeah, that's a good swear word. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's got very big fuck you energy. Yeah, yeah this really rules. Like, I laughed out loud when I saw this one. Like, yeah. actually, ten of 10. busted out. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Then this next one uh, is a captcha. It's a captcha. <laughs> and John just put his hand in his hand. It's in just his yeah, because it says select all images <laughs> with Mark <laughs> Hamill, and it's got a bunch of pictures of Mark Hamill. But then it's also got a bunch of pictures of Slavoj. Uh, Zizek thrown in there, uh, and I've, I, I, I almost want to say that I feel like I could take some level of credit for this meme because I made a post like years ago where I was like Mark Hamill and Slavoj look exactly the same, and I think somebody posted this as a comment, so it might have just been convergent meme evolution, but <laughs> I've thought of this several times because Mark Hamill's like one of those those nerd idols, right? Like, because he's like a yeah. cool guy, apparently, in person. Like, he's a genuinely nice guy. And that's all you have to do as a celebrity to be one of the good celebrities. Um, and so every time he, he would get in the meme sphere, I'd be like doing double takes. Like, is it Zizek? Oh, no, that's <laughs> Star Wars guy. Uh, Luke Skywalker or, uh, you or know, and the, the funny thing is digging around in the... I have a lot of confidence that both of you can get this right for both for different reasons. Dan for Mark (laughs) Hamill and and uh, and John for Zizek, but I am the only one who would lose this fucking thing. I don't know what these these people look like. (laughs) Yeah, like I can pick them out, but it is ridiculous how much they look alike. Yeah, like Zizek's Zizek's balding a little bit more in the forehead, but other than that, I mean, and he's a little jowlier, I guess. Yeah. But it's subtle. There's subtle differences. But uh, speaking of memes that John probably made. Is Mark Hamill Slovenian? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move into this next one, which is, uh, which is 
everybody standing in line at one window and only one person standing in line at the second yeah. window meme. <laughs> uh, the one where everybody's um, at the window, it's punch Joe Biden in the dick. Fuck yeah. Yeah, everybody <laughs> wants to do that. And then, then $2,000. And I mean, like, clearly that person needed that $2,000. Yeah. I mean, really, what you really want to do is punch Joe Biden in the dick. I wouldn't blame you if you were offered the chance to punch Joe Biden in the dick or $2,000 if you took the $2,000. I know that would go a long way for a a lot of people. Hell, it would go a really long way for me. But the satisfaction of (laughs) actually winding my arm up like Captain Falcon and just punching (laughs) Joe Biden so hard in the dick that it craterizes his entire hips and like coccyx and lower spine and just reduces them to fucking dust that would be so uh, that would be worth way more than two thousand dollars to me honestly <laughs> yeah. the only uh, th- i had i actually saw this meme in the in the beep beep discord and i was yeah, like i'm I gonna s- steal I stole it, it directly i stole it directly from there yeah <laughs> but it's also got bernie sitting in the chair right next to the punch biden in the dick thing which is like i don't know if that really needs to be in there uh, so okay. Well, I, I saw I the one a, that you posted on Facebook without it, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I did a rewrite. I, I did a little bit of a what? What would you call that in like? Um, just a punch up. Yeah, punch up. <laughs> I did a punch up of the, of the meat. <laughs> nice. Um, then. I guess this next one is a bug oh, in yeah. a bed. Yeah, this next one. I just really liked this one because it's it simultaneously involving. <laughs> uh european literature and also dystopian job shit that would absolutely happen Mm -hmm. and so it's a picture from kafka's metamorphosis uh where he was woken up and turned into a bug but he's got his phone plugged in next to his bed and as you can see he clearly is is having a rough time because it's just right on the floor it's not on a nightstand right (laughs) oh yeah and he's just gotten a text message or I, I guess a call uh, from his boss, and it's just labeled, hey, dude, sounds rough, but I still need you to come in since we're already understaffed. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Everybody's I mean, received it's updated. that text message or call. Yep, <laughs> It's updated to the modern day, and I think that's really important because I think I, I mentioned the, the ninth grade English teacher thing earlier when I was bringing up George Orwell, but it's like there's a, there's a really pervasive current in American education where they have you read George Orwell, and they're like, this is why communism is bad and evil which isn't really you know true and also in some cases not really what the books are about but then they have you read the metamorphosis because it's a classic and it's about this tale of like an industrial revolution era man who's like cannot provide for his family is being crushed by his work responsibilities has no self-esteem just like is basically at the end of his rope and they're like he gets turned into a bug it's a it's a book about how just like how totally fucking random lol xd life is isn't that crazy (laughs) isn't that wild (laughs) so it's nice to see it like recontextualized back to its original context with the help of a a comic panel about a smartphone yeah well and especially since like the cool thing to do to sound smart for every hack writer now is to call things either orwellian or kafka-esque yeah Exactly. And it's like, you know, you know, it's really Kafkaesque, this bullshit that people go through every single day. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say uh, the United States primary school system. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why people are so fucking caught up on uh, Orwellian and Kafka X when Huxleyan is right there and so accurately yeah. describes at least the more, um, you know, p- privileged people who live in the United States. You're the people you see on TV anyway. 
Like that's that's what a lot of people don't think about it. Like it's a dystopia for the rich too. They're just too fucking stupid and greedy to realize that if they helped us, their lives would be better as well. Right. Yeah. Well, on that note um, of solidarity, rich people really should be having solidarity with with us, I guess. Yes, but they have to make the first move. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's their responsibility. Um, Anyway. The rich people that definitely listen to this show, please become class (laughs) traders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, if you'd like, twice as many episodes uh check us out on patreon uh we're at patreon.com slash work stoppage uh join us in the discord there's all sorts of nice stuff you can find dan there his name is cal Boehner. i'm solidarity b uh, i think john goes by his name in the discord but um check out dan's other podcast uh red game table uh john's other podcast beep beep lettuce uh, where we steal memes, apparently. I mean, we're pretty good at that. <laughs> five, put, uh, five star review in Apple Podcasts and uh, follow us on all the platforms. Thanks so much. Solidarity That's forever. Right. Solidarity, everybody. Solidarity. <laughs>